Hello, my name is John Brink. We are here downtown Prince George in beautiful northern British Columbia in downtown Prince George and with the podcast On the Brink. I have a very, very special special guest today. His name is James McClellan. He has been uh, a fellow that I've known and he's a friend for a long time. He is an oncologist and he'll correct me later if I have it wrong at the BC Cancer Clinic. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me uh, and our listeners a little bit about your background from, you're not from Northern British Columbia. I I am not. I was born and raised in Toronto. Okay. And um, moved to Ottawa as a young man. Okay. And then I spent 12 years in the Middle East um, applying my trade there. In the in 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 where in the Middle East? I started out in Saudi Arabia. I okay. worked a few years in in Riyadh. Um, quite a cultural shock. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, eventually, I decided I wanted to stay in the Middle East, but to move to a little bit freer sort of culture. And what brought you to the Middle East? Wow, some big changes in my life. Yeah. Um, if I'm being honest, I was going through um, a divorce. To, to what? A divorce. Okay. And um, there's a lot of options, but um, a fresh new start with a new culture and yeah. and uh, new people around me. So you were, just kind of wanted to get away from... I just from, started fresh. <laughs> yeah, yes. what was behind you and then... Yes. Yeah. And, and so that brought you first to Saudi Arabia? Riyadh, yes. Yeah, what is Riyadh again? Just Riyadh for... is their um, their capital city in Saudi Arabia. Okay. And um, it's the seat of of their religion. Yeah. Um, and um, is that that's where they do the walk around thing? Uh... Not not there. Um, they do that in Mecca. Okay. And um, just a phenomenal um, month in Ramadan. Yeah. To see uh, things like that, it's just uh, such a a foreign culture to most of us. Yeah. So how long were you there? In uh, Saudi, I was there for just over two years, and then another 10 years in, um, in Doha, in, in Doha. Qatar. And that is in Qatar? Yes. And so where again is Qatar in relation to Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia is um, very large, right in the middle of, of the Middle East. And, close uh, to Iran? and uh, Close, um, and it shares a border. Um, it, it shares a border with um, uh, Qatar. Yeah, okay. And uh, on one side is um, the Emirates. You've heard of Dubai, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, on the other side uh, is Bahrain. Okay. So it's it's right in the seat of all of that. Right. A long time there, uh, James. Yes. Ten years. So, but but were you still then trying to get away from things, or did I was you not, kind of um, settle in? Um, some of my colleagues call it the 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 golden handcuffs. Okay. Um, and not about money, but um, yeah. they treated us well. Yeah. And um, man, I had a sailboat, and my company car was a Porsche. Yeah. And um, they they just um, they treated us well enough to uh, to keep us there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so that was a long time. And it was. Yeah. And then then you decided to go to Canada. Well, the, the sad part is while I was in the Middle East, I was diagnosed with um, a very advanced cancer. Wow. Um, and I was an insider, so I had some, some understanding of what that entailed. So, so were you already in the medical field? There? I was. I what was, were um, you doing? What? Um, 
I was a medical dosimetrist and but, uh, but, but for the public and myself in yes, fact what um, is that so in uh, the context of radiation therapy which is one of the, the major treatments for cancer okay um, the the people who design the actual treatments yeah um, are medical dosimetrists okay and so, and so you got the training for that in in Canada oh yes. in, in Toronto yes Toronto Ottawa okay and um, it, it it brought me there and so that kind of then got you into that particular field of dosimetry as yes. being a specialist. You were certified to be one of those. Yes. And that brought you then to Saudi Arabia and followed by? I moved over to, to Doha as, um, as one of their senior therapists. And, okay. Um, like I say, I was diagnosed there. Yeah. And I was away from Canada long enough that um, I didn't qualify for medical care back home. So are you comfortable about telling us what kind of... Work? Absolutely. I, I had um, a colon cancer yeah. that um, had already metastasized. It was 10 centimeter tumor uh, in my abdomen, which is fairly big. Yeah. Um, 10 centimeters is about as you show... It's your... a little bit smaller than your fist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, it had already spread to my liver and my lymphatic system. That's not good, eh? Uh, when I was diagnosed, I was given about a 6% chance of survival. Wow. So um, I had to make some major, major choices. So, so that must be a shock, right? As an insider? Yeah. Uh, even as an insider, absolutely. even more so maybe yes. than an insider. Yes. Uh, I had seen um, a lot of successes. Uh, and you focus on the successes. Yeah. But you do see, uh, with that stage and grade of, of uh, cancer, you do see some failures. Yeah. And um, being human, <laughs> yeah. that's what's stuck in here. Oh, and, yeah, no question. Absolutely. So um, I was faced with those choices, what to do next. What to do next. What did you do next? Um, well, my options were, because it was so advanced, to come home um, and prepare for, the, for what follows, which is not good. Which is not good. Or to, to throw everything at it um, and uh, take that 6% and uh, try to milk it into a success. Yeah. And uh, that was the choice I made. So that, when you went through that, laying awake at nights and all the other things, I'm sure yes. you did. And then, were you alone then, or did you have people around you that were At that part point, I, I was alone. Yeah. I didn't have anybody Ma uh, hard, to, to right? bounce it off of. Uh, yeah. Um, so we made some big decisions. Uh, it's, it makes it tough, right? It was. Yeah. Yes. So then, then you kind of looked around and said, uh, you know, when you kind of regather yourself and saying, okay, I got to move forward and take that 6% and try to increase it, what can I do? Now you're an insider. So yes. you, the, the, you didn't need anybody in particular make you feel good that it is not as bad as it sounds. You Absolutely. knew all of that already. I knew exactly what, uh, what expectations yeah. could be. Yes. So then you said, I'm, I'm going to go to Toronto? Or where did you well, go to? Did I decide to go? Well, what happened was, um, obviously I made the choice to take the treatments. And um, as, as kudos, what year was this, uh, James? Again, um, this summer I'm 10 years cancer-free. So, so that it's is, been 10 uh, years. Yeah. So the, it was uh, 2011. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So and um, 
just uh, kudos to my colleagues. Um, in in uh, Doha, we had basically a Canadian clinic. Um, all the, the therapists and uh, dosages eh? were, um, majority of them were Canadian, and they brought their technology from Canada. And uh, like I say, kudos to, to the Canadian um, radiation therapy culture, but um, best in the world. So uh, I was dealing with the option of getting the best treatment that was available yeah. on the planet. Yeah. So um, I mean, and that spurred me to, uh, to take that option. Yeah, so d where did you go then? I stayed in, uh, in Doha, yeah. and I actually was treated in, in the hospital where I worked. Amazing, huh? Yes. And so how long, how long were you there then? Well, I had um, a major surgery. Yeah. I mean, they removed uh, most of my bowel, a um, piece of my liver, and all the lymphatic system around it. So um, I was on my back for several months, and then I started chemotherapy um, directly after that. As soon as I could get up and walk, uh, I was in the chemotherapy unit. And that, uh, that was 12 courses, six full months of chemotherapy. For me as a layman that knows something about it, but not much, but enough to know that this is all scary. And then having been exposed to some of the stuff we're going to talk about later, you so involved in, in terms of how far it has come in terms of the technique, then it kind of kind of looking at it is just like doing uh, a surgery with a power saw. <laughs> it's a great analogy, John. You know, when I, when I started, um, one of the, the, the most common cancers in men was prostate cancer. Prost yeah. And it was quite common to, uh, to treat radiation therapy um, from your belly button right down to air. Yeah. Big, big treatment volumes. Yeah. And, um, and that, uh, just again for a general public, because, you know, we as being normal individuals, and not saying that you are not, no. but you're an informed individual and you're afraid or at least respectful of it, that we usually don't like to talk about it much. We kind of like to say it doesn't exist really until all of a sudden something happens, which happens to all of us uh, somewhere in our families or, or friends, then, uh, you know, we... we, we prefer not to talk about the big C all that much, yeah. but I think it is important, and that's Absolutely. why with you sitting here, in particular in the, the, the background that you have, you're unique in the terms of, A, you're a survivor, and you have been through the worst of it, and then for the people that are listening to our podcast, the more they know, the better they are, the better they can Absolutely. prepare themselves. It, it, like you say, um, very scary, especially yeah. when someone tells you um, six in a hundred survive uh, this no. disease that, that I had. Um, but uh, I want to tell the world that uh, a 1%, 2%, 6%, 50% chance of survival is nowhere near a death sentence. Yeah. Um, and that's very important to know, right? That's my mission. Yeah. That's my mission, and, and, and there is no one better than you in, in having lived it and in, in, in then laying awake at nights and know when the ultimate day is yeah. going to come and then kind of finding ways, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you said that, but right here in British Columbia, there's 250,000 cancer survivors who are alive and kicking right now. Unbelievable. Um, 
and um, because they they took that leap and, and um, trusted the system, yeah, and uh, jumped in with both feet and. Uh, so take us a little bit further in terms of, so now you're being treated in Qatar, yes, in the hospital. So you went through the treatment, and then you were on your back for months to kind of recover from all the, from the surgery. massive surgery that yes. they did to you and get things working again. Yes. Then what happened? Straight into chemotherapy, and um, for how long? Six full months of, of chemotherapy. Again, for the for the benefit of our, our listeners, chemotherapy is where they are trying to send. It's a systemic treatment, which is different than systemic radiation. Systemic is so um, in radiation therapy, I'll treat a very distinct group of cells. Right. Whereas um, a systemic treatment like chemotherapy, they inject it and it finds every cell in your body and. Um, some of those cells, some of those good cells, it does wreak havoc. Yeah. Um, but it does, for the most part, seek out those bad cells and uh, um, kick their butt. <laughs> yeah. So, or, or do they find then, if that is injecting, uh, then does that find the, uh, the defective cells? Well, there, there was um, a component of my treatment. It was kind of a chemotherapy cocktail. Um, there were some very general uh, chemicals that um, affected my whole body. Yeah, and that, they, is, that is what you had in that chart. Yes, right. but there are, were some more targeted cells that do seek out and, and find those, um, those cancer cells. So a lot of patients do have that, that mix of um, a blunt weapon with a, a very surgical approach. Has much of that now changed? Then we'll talk later about the radiation, but, but yeah. uh, as far as the injection, has that changed? That uh, changes in the last... every day, John. It's phenomenal. Yeah. On that part as well. Eh? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Finding, and the whole objective is to find those cells and to kill them yes. without killing a whole other area around it. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and again, um, the, the lion's share I'm biased, John, but um, yeah. the lion's share of, of the, the technology um, that's been used in, in a lot of the world comes from British Columbia. Yeah. The foundation and, and the, the providers here, and phenomenal. That's why I'm here. Yeah, and, and you see, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the, I had the privilege in the last uh, 10 years or so that, uh, you know, you guys have been, you came here in, in 2013 or so, I think. Oh no, 2013 is the Wheeling Warriors started. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later too, but I'm so excited about this because yeah. that was the first time that uh, I did my tour uh, with you actually to the uh, cancer clinic. Yes. And, uh, and I was, you know, and, and, and uh, with all due respect because the two are somewhat linked, the, the hospices be very involved in it too. Mm -hmm. And I always used to think of the hospice, I prefer not to drive by there because I don't want to look at it, <laughs> you know. But it's a very, very good place. They it do go very good things. And it's maybe a little bit absurd that I bring it up, but I had to bring it up like that. Is that if I think about the cancer clinic falls in the same category, I don't really want to go there, but I'm glad I did because all of a sudden it showed me something that I had absolutely, totally no idea in terms of what we do in British Columbia, but in particular in Prince George and the cancer clinic here from the BC Cancer 
Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not part of the hospital, but it is physically attached to it, but it is really separate. And although mm -hmm. the anthrax in a lot of ways, but uh, to do a, uh, a tour through it and get to understand what they do is absolutely un amazing. Uh, it's mm -hmm. of world class and beyond. Absolutely. No question about that. So, so that then being said, uh, go a little bit further about it. So then you have the different treatments and... Yeah, so I, I did have a component of my treatment was, was a blunt weapon, and it, yeah. it, it does make you feel pretty terrible. Yeah. And um, I tried to keep working during that. Um, yeah. I did, uh, did sit at the desk working on treatment plans with a bucket beside me for um, throwing up and yeah. uh, not feeling well. But yeah. um, you, you get through it. Yeah. So... So now you're still in Qatar. Yes. So now at some point you decided that you're going to go sell somewhere else. At some point. Um, what year are we in now? Well, um, one of the, like I said, because I didn't qualify for healthcare in Canada anymore, yeah. um, I thought it would be prudent uh, to, to wait out five years. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, my type of cancer um, was a manifestation of my genetics. I still have a lot of bowel in my body. I can still get cancer again. Um, it, it is the manifestation of what? Of the, your genetic? Well, yes. So I have the gene. That, so, um, so that's another thing that, that I, uh, I like to talk about a little bit but because a lot of people don't understand what yeah. you're saying, although they know about genetic. And, and because a lot of things, times uh, doctors ask you, have you got anything like this in your family or blah, blah, blah. So exactly. maybe, maybe make the connection for the public and myself. Um, your genetic makeup can make you a little bit more prone to cancer or less prone to cancer. In my case, um, my genetic makeup in my bowels um, makes me a lot more prone to, to getting the, the type of cancer that I had again. Yeah. Um, so I, I do have to be vigilant. And, yeah. and that's why I decided to stay around the healthcare yeah. um, for five more years. Yeah. I felt like I was out of the woods. Yeah. And um, where, once, do, where are we now in terms of? I'm still in, in Doha. So okay. I, I waited out that five years. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I, I came back to, well, first of all, I, I did some backpacking around Europe and yeah. lived it up a little bit for a while. Yeah. And then I came back to Canada and. Um, uh, Toronto? Uh, my parents were in Ottawa, so I okay. stuck it out with them for a little while. <coughs> and um, after about two or three months, uh, I received a phone call from, from one of the, the leaders down in Vancouver. That they, uh, they heard that I was back in Canada. <coughs> and um, she asked if I wanted to come to BC. Uh, and uh, it, it, the, the amazing thing was that was my intent. The, uh, the technology to save my life in, uh, in the Middle East came from BC. Right. For the, the professionals here. Um, UBC? Um, absolutely. And down in Vancouver. Um, it's just <clears throat> a phenomenal group. Um, that they're, they're making their way around the world right now, yeah. teaching the world how to use some of the technology. Right. Um, I, I can't say enough good yeah. things about these, uh, these providers. And then what happened? Um, Absolutely. They, they offered me a job in um, Abbotsford mm -hmm. um, and then uh, a management uh, supervisor job came up here in, 
in Prince George. And um, were you in Abbotsford for a while or not? Didn't even make it there. I I, I was on my way, and they said, "No, come to, to what Prince, year? Prince George." What year? That was uh, I'm past my six years here now. Yeah. So, um, so I came straight here. I didn't work anywhere else. In, 2015. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, then, so then you became, you got a position as, now that was, so the UNBC, the hospital was built here. Not long before I got here. Yeah. It's fairly new. Yeah. And, and so they were still in the process of kind of developing, getting. Yes. <coughs> Sorry about that. No. Bringing in expertise. Yes, and um, the expertise here in, in Prince George is amazing for a small town mm -hmm. our size. It's uh, it's an unlikely mix to have such uh, amazing um, technology and, and professionals here. Mm -hmm. So, looking at all of that, uh, James, you know what what really motivates you to do what you do? Yeah, it's. Uh, I get a little bit misty when I talk about one of my um, my superheroes. Yeah, um, I'm pushing sixty, and at my age, yeah. uh, most people have um, have been through three careers. Yeah, um, but there was uh, when I was in my chemo. Yeah, um, was, I was about three months in, and um, just, you can get pretty ugly at that point. I mean, yeah. I was. Um, I was very ill. Um, my my hair was gone, and my face was gray, yeah. and my eyes were sunken. Yeah, I couldn't uh, sleep much. Um, you didn't look much good. No, no. <laughs> um, it was difficult to get out of bed. Yeah, but um, there was one of my chemotherapy sessions when I um, I met a, a six-year-old. Were had, you then working on chemo, or you were a patient as a chemo? When I was um, a patient. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. I was um, the the chemotherapy um, because it was such a, a long course. Right. Um, I had a, a port uh, in implanted in my body so that they could easily get the the chemotherapy in. Yeah. Um, I had lots of scars. Yeah. Um, but um, there was this one session that uh, I still dream about. Uh, yeah. I was in in my uh, chemotherapy bed and um, I don't know if it's uh, ego but I didn't want anyone to see me without my chemo wig on yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but it's very uncomfortable because you my skin was was uh, yeah not doing well and yeah so I pull the curtains around and I'd uh, I'd sit on my bed and um, uh, I would play videos and um, get my chemo. It took six or seven hours. Um, and uh, because I wanted the privacy, I closed the curtains. Yeah, yeah. But um, in the bed next to me, I didn't realize that at the time there was a, a little six-year-old who was, um, he was in the same shape as me. Yeah. He had uh, scars and yeah. the bald head and... He was. He looked just like me, but uh, a third my size. Yeah. And um, I know it's strange, but I was watching Batman cartoons. <laughs> yeah. And he heard Batman, and um, he opened the curtains, and of course I ran and put my head 
but he said, Batman. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so I invited him in. He sat yeah. on the, the, the bed beside him. We both had our chemotherapy poles. And yeah. uh, I remember looking down at him and uh, seeing he had the abdominal scars just like yeah. me. And yeah. um, there was a point where um, I had to throw up. Yeah. And he was so concerned about me. Yeah. And um, he was just in worse shape than me. And yeah. I mean, we, we talked about um, Batman and what makes a hero a superhero. Yeah. Um, and um, he taught me about subjects like love and um, doing good in the world. And six years old. And um, Amazing. Uh, after five or six hours, we got to know each other really well. Yeah. And um, I organized my next chemotherapy session to be the same time as his. Um, and I promised to bring some uh, some Batman videos and yeah. continue the the talk. And um, uh, he didn't live the next two weeks. He yeah. passed away. Yeah. And um, did he have family? He had uh, his mother and father were there, but just like me, uh, we were all expats, so we didn't have extended family around us. Right. Um, his father came to work there and brought mom, and, yeah. and he was the only child. Yeah. And um, it was difficult, but yeah. um, it uh, it kind of motivated me to yeah. to um, keep doing what I was doing and to be around people like you and spread the word that um, the, the the technology is yeah. growing and give you the strength. Oh right? my goodness! Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he stop. <laughs> he does bring a tear to my eye. Uh, yeah, quite often. Yeah, yeah. But um, man, he keeps me on the road. He keeps me uh, pushing the wheel and warriors and the Iki yeah. And uh, it does me too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, take it a bit uh, to uh, you know now where we are. We now uh, that was that part. So we are already in Vancouver. You were in Abbotsford. Or you had the opportunity to go yeah. to Abbotsford, and you say, "I'm going to go to Prince George." Right. Why did you choose Prince George? I felt like I could make a bigger impact. On, on did you the, come down here first and kind of look around, or? I didn't. Um, I, I uh, just talking to my uh, my colleague in in Vancouver about yeah. what's going on here. Um, I just felt like um, this was the place to be. Yeah. And um, it turned out I was right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so now you're here, you are, uh, you know, in your position, it's still early and the, uh, uh, you know, in, in the, the, the cancer hospital here is still kind of finding its way. It's yes. serving a big area, right? Absolutely. Right to the Yukon border? And right down to 100 Mile House. Right to 100 Mile House. So for, for our guests that are... Uh, uh, listening and watching, you know, that Prince George, I, I call it the capital of Northern British Columbia. And the Absolutely. capital of Northern British Columbia is amazing because the other half, or I say the other half of the province. Now for those listeners, uh, you know, just to kind of sit down, pay attention respectfully, is that most of the GDP or the gross domestic product of the province of British Columbia, 75 or 80% comes from North of uh, Williams Lake or Quan uh, or Quanell or Prince George, and uh, you know it is an area that uh, is a great piece of land, 
and mm. the Yukon border is about 800 kilometers away from us. If mm. you want to drive to Prince Rupert to the east, it's also about uh, 800 kilometers and, and the same to the Alberta border. Yeah. So we are physically, for all of those watching internationally as well, is that we, uh, the, the uh, British Columbia, large, large province, and uh, the, in the center of the province is British, Colum uh, British Columbia is Prince George. It's the capital yes. of Northern British Columbia. And uh, you know, the, and an amazing place to live. I lived here since uh, 1965, six, 56 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is amazing uh, in terms of the, na the natural state of, the, uh, of uh, Northern British Columbia, with all the lakes around here, and mm -hmm. an amazing place to raise the family. Yes. And then Prince George is amazing as well. Anyway, I, I just always bring it up in the opportunity presents itself. Well, let me expand on that. Okay, there <laughs> um, you go. I can do what I do from just about anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, I chose to stay here um, because I got the opportunity to apply my trade, but more so because I fell in love with the people. Yeah. And just as a contrast, um, uh, you know, Karen Pichet and, and the Wheel and Warriors and yeah. um, you know how um, we're uh, really into the, the fundraising part exactly uh, and, and uh, just extending our hand and, and messaging and, and um, being advocates for, for um, the clinic here. Yeah and, and actually the Wheeling Warriors yes. you guys started that you and uh, Karen in 2013. Well, I wish nope. I could say we, but um, I'm just one of Karen's foot soldiers, yeah. <laughs> if we're being honest. So, and, and, and Karen uh, is an amazing lady. If she would be here, I would uh, sell her to stand up and wait. But, uh, yes. you know, in any event, she, she yes. is, uh, you know, and, and dynamo. And uh, I, I have to say this about Karen. I always remember that at one time, it could have been around that time. So when she was, uh, you know, in, heavy into fundraising, and she knew me from an encounter elsewhere. And then I was working on just uh, in, in, on uh, the North Nechaco, and all of a sudden I see this lady driving by, and she saw me, she stopped the bike in, with the road uh, traffic all around, and she came across, and then she said, you have to do this, and then, and so we talked for a while, and uh, yes. she said, you should get yourself a bike, and then you should be uh, biking. Uh, and the rest is yeah. it's phenomenal anyway, history. Amazing lady. Um, but she was, uh, she's still a very much a dynamic, yes. a drive behind the Wheeling Warriors. And the reason I brought that up was um, in, in the Middle East, I was literally in the midst of um, so many billionaires, um, people with just so much money, they didn't, they didn't have an opportunity to spend it. Yeah. Um, and when I was there, I was doing some fundraising as well. I was running yeah. the Terry Fox run and um, I was trying to do my part. But... Um, on occasion, asking a billionaire to take a $20 bill out of his pocket and donate it to charity was difficult. Whereas um, in Prince George, um, there was one day where Karen and I um, sat at uh, Canadian Tire with, uh, with our jerseys on and just talking to people. And the amount of people who would pull a $50 bill out, yeah, $100 bill, yeah, um, they, they just gave us that first of all that trust and just wanted to support their community um, 
I, it was just heartwarming. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I could probably tell you 30, 40, 50 times that we've done that. Yeah. Um, not necessarily in the same place, but around town where people just wanted to be involved in the solution. You, you see, if I remember, and I've been involved in quite a few of the, you know, the, 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 what has been raised here by the group uh, driven mm -hmm. by Karen uh, in a lot of ways, and other people too, yeah. you know, that uh, well over a million dollars has been yeah. raised, that has been spent here. I think it is something closer to 1.3, 1.4 maybe even. Yeah. And, has, and it is being spent here as well. Absolutely. A and then, uh, you know, so, and, and even recently, uh, the, they did some major, major uh, bike rides, uh, either to, in the lower mainland, because, but then because of COVID, it kind yes. of, uh, got in the way. Hopefully by next year we'll be back to those other ones. But in the meantime, they're doing s smaller trips uh, in the region, yes. but still doing very, very effective in fundraising. Absolutely. One of the, the benefits of, of being isolated like we are is that I think there's something around 90 riders on the Wheel and Warriors. And um, the, the amount of friendship and the close-knit group and uh, it's just amazing here uh, yeah and, and another fellow that is also a friend of us uh, here is uh, Ron Gallo he has been very very involved and a little bit of history about him as well right absolutely he's he's one of uh, the superheroes in town absolutely yeah. um, I, I do try to follow his lead sometimes. Yeah. Um, I don't mean on the bike. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just in, in, in life, the way he's, he's contributing to uh, making this, this community a better place. Yeah, and, and another fellow that I can think of that, uh, that we all know very well is Scott McWalter. Uh, he, he's an avid runner and biker. <laughs> and so is his dad, actually, yes. Dave McWalter. Yeah. Yeah. I know them both well, and uh, again, they're two people who I admire. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. So there's a lot of support behind in terms of the fundraising. There have been many tours that I've done through. And we want to talk a little bit more about the actual clinic. Uh, you know, that I believe you did the tour for us. And, uh, yeah. and, and I had an extraordinary interest in it because it is so unique is yeah. that you took us to the equipment that uh, is actually where the actual radiation is done. And that, uh, you know, coming back to your situation, uh, you know, in Qatar or in, uh, uh, you know, where you had your operation mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, th that I made the comparison, all, all what they did to you is, uh, you know, virtual use of power saw and, and where here it is a question of millimeters in terms of finding Absolutely. Th that area of, uh, uh, you know, the disease or whatever it is called. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and fractional in terms of the area, which is world-class. There was another fellow involved that was one of the docs here that had a lot to do, Ron, what was his name? Ron? Rob Olson. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and Dr. Uh, Rob Olson, again, known a world-class. Uh, Research facility, yes, absolutely. Yeah. All over the world. Yes. You know, and, and can you imagine, they're sitting in northern British Columbia, Yes. In, in Prince George, in the hospital here, has, has, is, is renowned for his amazing uh, yeah. uh, cutting-edge uh, 
uh, research and cancer, uh, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, Rob Olson, Stacy Miller, the, the, the personalities here. Yeah. Um, the, the, they just bring us so far. Yeah. And they, don't, they just don't quit. Where do we go from here, James? Oh, great question. Um, the, the technology, uh, it just increases in leaps and bounds. Right. Um, early I, detection, is that one I area? think um, early detection and prevention. Um, if I get on my, my horse and, and tell the world, if you get it earlier. Um, you kill the monster when it's tiny. It, it, I, I read something that uh, in England uh, they had found something, blood tests that will allow them to detect certain cancers much, much earlier. Absolutely. It's as simple for some of these cancers as um, taking a little swab, putting it in an envelope, sending it off, and they can uh, do their tests remotely or wherever. Is that and available now? For some types of cancer, yes. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Will that further expand? Uh, you know, why would it be for certain? Well, because your blood runs all over, right? Yes. Um, Maybe a dumb it, question. It's, it's, it's an ugly subject, but um, for, for my type of cancer, um, there, there's a technology now where you could take a, a swab, um, put it in an envelope, send it to Vancouver, and they can tell you if you have bowel cancer. Yeah. Um, at least once a year, I get uh, a blood test. Um, simple, easy peasy. I show up for two minutes. They send it off, and they uh, they can do an assay that will um, reveal something. Yeah. Another thing that you said is you were genetically inclined to it. It is. Yes. Uh, should people? I, th I think my wife sent something to somebody that they did a genetic uh, analysis of somebody. Is that reliable, or is it? Uh, well. That's a difficult subject. Yeah. Um, although I'm I'm more prone to, to bowel cancer than than you. Okay. Um, there are some some lifestyle choices that I can make. Yeah. That would uh, actually make me less prone to cancer in the long run. Right. Uh, and, and have uh, a less statistical problem um, than someone like you, who who maybe I shouldn't say sorry. Not someone like you. Maybe someone. The easy comparison is someone who smokes and someone who doesn't smoke. Yeah. Um, someone who has the gene um, yeah. for that would preclude them having uh, lung cancer right. would have a, uh, an increased chance of getting the lung cancer, yeah. um, and then compound that by smoking. Yeah. Whereas someone who has the gene but doesn't smoke has a smaller chance. So it's all relative to your lifestyle, to yeah. to a lot of things. How yeah. you live, where you live, um, your psychology, yeah. um, like Scott uh, running all the time. Some people uh, are just healthier than others. Yeah. And um, what I want to say is um, having the gene doesn't uh, assume you're going to get cancer. Right. Assumes you need to be careful. Yeah. And vigilant and, yeah. um, and, 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 and live your life in, in that way. And should you do <clears throat> a lot of the traditional, <clears throat> and I haven't bit of an interest in that because of uh, <clears throat> I've done several interviews with uh, doctors, naturopathic doctors and yes. and then traditional uh, medical doctors and <clears throat> uh, 
a lot of times in the in the medical field that I know is uh, you know with all all due respect. I had to be a family doctor for about 30 years, 40 years, I think, of some, some sort. And then, uh, you know, then he passed away and then we went to somebody else. But now I'm doing that different in the last five, six, seven, eight years. Then it used to be, uh, you know, I, I have something I run down there that about six, eight people in the waiting room. So I get my five minutes and then get mm -hmm. my aspirin and then uh, go back <laughs> yes. and come back next week maybe. So where now I, I decided uh, saying that, no, I'm going to do that privately. So I'm going to pay X amount of dollars annually uh, to get a, what I call a bumper to bumper. That yes. includes, uh, you know, the blood test that includes all those excess things, the analysis, the talk mm -hmm. with the doc for about 20 minutes and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and all of the, the more proactive style. And then there is, again, other ones that... Uh, you know, that uh, maybe the less, more naturopathic uh, approach or integrated, uh, as they call it now, medicine yes. that uh, uh, includes naturopathic with traditional medicine, maybe is a more effective way. There, there's a whole new branch of science. It's not really new, but there's a whole branch of science called epigenetics. And it's a study of things that actually turn on um, your genes. So uh, these epigenetics um, take into account your environment, what you eat, what's in your head, um, if you're running a lot. Uh, and this, this science um, talks about how the, that signal gets into the cell and turns on a gene. So um, with this, this new emerging uh, technology, we're... Um, finding out how you can turn on and turn off genes um, not simply but but more so than um, just by the understanding of you see uh, we've talked about time periods of about 10 years yeah. this relatively speaking in terms of time as a whole is relatively short time span yes but in 10 years from now it is highly likely that uh, the, the medical profession and, and the approaches to some of these things like cancer and others in genetics and something that even now it's maybe still in the studies but has really not been implemented. Uh, uh, there is no question about it that there be dramatic changes to uh, the, the how medi medical issues are resolved and, Absolutely. Uh, and um, prevented. Historically speaking, if you go right back to the beginning of medicine, where um, the, your Socrates type people were were practicing, um, their whole philosophy was um, eat well, be well, think well, um, and if you 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 build that into the the high technology, where we can go in and um, we can irradiate a tiny group of cells. Um, the landscape is really changing fast with that that old and the new technology yeah um we have to respect the old um technology and just being well yeah <laughs> and then obviously the the no-brainers are that uh you know drinking alcohol in moderation if at all yes. do not smoke period uh Absolutely. you know and and uh, get exercise try to maintain yeah. a healthy weight 
and try to do some form of me- uh, exercise. Yeah. It doesn't have to be breaking records and, and uh, competing on national championships. It simply stays stay uh, active. Uh, and then mentally, uh, m- mental health is, uh, you know, a, a major issue now too. It is absolutely as being recognized as, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, what can people do to to more deal with all of those things more effectively, because it's part of our, that's who we are, you know. Yeah. Well, d- Take the stigma out of it. Absolutely. Stigmatized. Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, is stigmatizing some of these things has mm-hmm. been a problem. It's one of the things I learned as a cancer patient is the responsibility is really on me to, to live a healthy life. Yeah. Um, first of all, and then rely on, on the technology, the science. Yeah. Um, and, and, that, and then if things get tough and difficult, yeah. where people are close to maybe not giving up, reach out, you know, and then uh, mm. make it available to them because we all through our lives in different ways go through ups and downs and then sometimes things get really uh, uh, difficult and stressful yeah. and uh, be uh, uh, alert to that with your family and your friends. Yeah. You know. I think yeah. even more so, so these days um, in the midst of um, COVID, our um, our healthcare system is struggling to keep up, and, uh, and it's, that's unfortunate. But it also means that um, some of my patients can't get their diagnostic tests because the hospitals are full, and yeah, um, it, it just adds a, another layer of difficulty. You see, and that's why I'm troubled by, and I'm going to be quite open about it. I can do that. I will do that. Is that mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I'm vaccinated. Uh, I took the first opportunity to do that, yeah. and and fact of life is that uh, uh, you know that thousands and thousands uh, of people have been uh, died because of COVID and still are today. And mm-hmm. I cannot understand that some people will not accept that what has been determined by science that the vaccinations the vaccines all of them are safe Mm -hmm. and by not being vaccinated it's not about you it's about others you know and for people to remember that and for the ones that still are showing up at hospitals and and potentially into the uh, er rooms that uh, that were normally designated for people that either suffering from strokes or Mm -hmm. heart attacks or other emergencies you not only doing not a favor to anybody and yourself mm-hmm. and doing a total disservice to others that could well be affected by you that, that uh, uh, refuse to take vaccinations or the same ones that claim the right to a bet or getting a right to the bet. And then the other thing about it, uh, being very frank about it, is that a lot of the, the medical service providers, and I see the... Uh, uh, late night Tenet, uh being at the hospital virtually every night and, yeah. and with the drum sessions, you know, thinking, uh, you know, how the health providers are being there through all yeah. these difficult times who are totally overworked. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and I think it is grossly, grossly irresponsible. And, yeah. and to see areas like the Prince George maybe is one of them where there is still something, the, the vaccination, I don't know exactly, but I, I think something that's slightly over 50%. I, I'm, I'm on the racket forward saying that is grossly irresponsible. What you want to do with your life is yours, but you do not have the right 
to uh, you know potentially put others in danger and then once you get sick to claim a bet I, f I believe that is grossly irresponsible yeah. I just had to say that and I say <laughs> it on the record yeah I, I absolutely hear you John um, I want to respect people's fears and biases and I get yeah. that but um, and having said that uh, I, I had an opportunity to work with um, with some military um, and uh, you know, Top Brass has a mission. They um, retrieve an asset. But I worked with the guys who did the, the actual work in the field. Yeah. Um, and their mission and vision is not to retrieve the asset. Their mission and vision is to make sure the guy beside you helps you and you help him. Yeah. And they're willing to step in front of a bullet to save that guy beside them. Yeah. And... Um, and as a Canadian, um, it, that's, that's a strong motivation for me to want to go and, and get the shots. Yeah. Because I want to protect that guy. And, and I and, feel the same, James. I was in the military for two years drafted yeah. in Holland, the uh, Special Forces. That's yeah. the mission, you know, so yeah. no question about it. Yeah. Um, so so and and so we have talked a lot of a lot of stuff and uh you know and and uh, and amazing uh you as an example for our people uh you know that will be watching mm -hmm. that uh as you go forward uh you know the uh, obviously you're going to be very uh, uh, alert in terms of yourself but also in terms of you have an amazing amount of background and experience that you bring to uh, the cancer clinic and the people around there. It's an amazing well, thank team. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say at the end? Mm -hmm. Just thank you for this opportunity. I want to throw it back at you. Um, as a Wheeling warrior and, and um, as someone in the community, um, I've had an opportunity to witness you um, just build this community up. And uh, I, I think our fight is an easier fight because of people like you. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for, for, for taking part and yeah. to, to, uh, to be a part of the, the solution. You, <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much to uh, James McLellan. An amazing story. Uh, it, it gives us a sense of a look inside uh, the cancer clinic, but also in terms of a patient that uh, you know was close to a very delicate, delicate period in his life where his chances of survival were less than 6%. And so uh, it, uh, you know, it gave me an opportunity to in interview James, but also in regards to the cancer clinic and the advantages that we make here in Prince George and the amazing team around them. So I hope that everybody enjoyed the show, uh, got to know a little bit more about it, and we thank you for watching On The Brink.